and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined by one of my oldest friends, one of my dearest compatriots, it's Chris Dow, bottled in Yorkshire. And we are going to be chatting about video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into our latest episode, we wanted to do the usual plug of asking you if you are able and inclined to do so. Please do head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3C Games, and consider pledging some monetary support to us. We would be hugely grateful of any support you can show us. Even if you can't pledge any money regularly, you can find a one-off donation button on our website, o3c.games, on the support page. And if you are cash-ready poor, then uh, just sharing the podcast on social media or giving us a review and a cheeky five-star rating on your podcast app would also be hugely appreciated. For those of you inclined to subscribe on Patreon, uh, you will get a ton of exclusive perks such as full bonus episodes, deleted scenes and outtakes, all of the episodes of this season ad-free, uncut and in video form as well, as gaining access to the O3C Discord server where you can join our merry band of communities chatting about everything <laughs> from video games to other video games there's a channel about books there's one post in there <laughs> i tried <laughs> so we are back last week we chatted about the latest couple of playdate games hypermeteor and zipper and uh, that was great. Chat about some other stuff as well. Go back and listen if you haven't, because it was really, really good. It was really good. We also said that we're going to be putting a hold on our Fortnite challenges for the current uh, period of now. <laughs> so these episodes, like the one today, is going to be uh, a, a, possibly a slightly slimmer affair as we're going to update each other and you on what we've been playing in the last week. You know as well as we do, some weeks are slim, some weeks are absolutely chock full of gaming content. So, hey, let's see what happens. What are you buying? What are you playing? You know what? I'm going to kick us off. I'm going to tell you uh, tell you about a game I've played because it follows on nicely from last week because it is a game that you uh, sideloaded onto your playdate and talked about last Ooh. week, The King's Dungeon, the little Ooh. mini micro Metroidvania it's a really good game. It's really good fun. I did my first run of the first world in about 14 minutes, I think. Oh, I think I got on my boy. first run. And I really do like the idea of doing these short Metroidvania runs, which work really, really well on the play date. But I think, like for me, because I don't really go in for score chasing games, I'd rather yeah. it was a full game because I would happily play that for like three or four hours, certainly. Yeah. Or if it was yeah. a roguelike and randomized your runs to a degree each time, which I, I, I know... That's basically saying, make another game. Uh, it's, <laughs> uh, but but I also did like having these just little endorphin-boosting Metroidvania upgrades. Yeah. Like, they just come at you every couple of minutes. And that's just really nice, because it's always nice to be like, you unlocked a double jump, and I'm happy to get that just in my life every 15 minutes. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't realise I kind of needed it as much as I do. But I'm looking forward to trying the second world that's available on the game and i think it'll be interesting to see how the game develops like if i don't know if more worlds are going to be added or if different modes are going to be implemented things like that but it's a really really good addition to the playdate library it's totally different to anything that's part of the official first season so yeah it's a definite recommend from me what have you played this week chris 
this whole week, pretty much everything I'm going to talk about today, I would say it's a comfort week. Mm. I think that's the best way to describe it. Rice pudding games. I love rice pudding. Yeah, me too. Really do. Yeah. Really do love a rice pudding. I just don't seem to have much free time at the moment, you know, so I'm I'm making podcast notes for these episodes in the downtime between school tasks or when I first get up in the morning. I've been playing games in like the little stolen windows between other worky things or scheduled things that I need to go at and be at or, or do or, or whatever. So it's it's been a bit slim in terms of like having the time to start something big and new. Mm. I've played more Fish and Feathers that I mentioned from the play date last week. It is now my de facto reward game, I think, to play for five (laughs) minutes between lesson planning or whatever else I'm working on at my laptop. Very little to add to what I said about it last week, other than this is still a perfect little arcade experience that fits these pockets Mm. of time perfectly. And I think we take these things for granted now, but it also highlights how important instantly resuming games is on any format. Yeah. You know, this instant on is now industry standard across the Xbox consoles, the PS5, the Switch, the Steam Deck and even the tiny play day. And I think it really speaks to the era that potentially having this feature dropped on any future hardware by any manufacturer would feel to me like an almost impossible loss at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's so, so important. It's dangerous though. It, it can be. The way you say, like you have like little five minute bursts of reward gaming. Like there, there have been times when I've been like, oh, I've written a sentence here. Let's do a run on Returnal. And then it's dinner time. Uh (laughs) These things do happen. With Babylon's Fall now a distant memory, the PlayStation 5 has been relegated temporarily back to being the streaming box for Netflix et al. At Mm. the moment, Sonic is still the next game I want to play. It's sat next to the TV ready. But I feel like it needs slightly more than tiny 15-minute chunks of time in which to actually enjoy it properly. I think certainly at the start, like you, yeah, you need to yeah. find, like, it'd be nice for you to have like a couple of hours where you can like yeah. make a good start on it. Cause then I think actually it does work quite well in, in little bursts. Well, and then the instant resume of the PS5. Yeah. On the subject of streaming though, can we mention how mad it is that in 2023, two and a half years after the PlayStation 5's launch, there is no way to access services like iPlayer on the console. Is there not? Most of the big sort of names are there. BBC iPlayer is not. So I just, I find myself amazed sometimes that not only does the machine basically have no exclusives worth worrying about <laughs> to justify buying it over something else but it also yeah. isn't even keeping pace with other machines that are just offering standard streaming apps like a usb stick <laughs> i don't understand i just don't understand whilst i'm having my little ps5 dig as well you know when they're down give them a kick in i think it's worth committing to tape a big hearty laugh like laugh out loud actually to the news that sony's posho 200 pounds controller that aims to rival microsoft's elite pad has a battery life of just under six hours on a full charge versus the xbox's 40 for the I, really, xbox elite. I didn't realize it was that that desperate that's that's crazy people have said it feels great it does all these wonderful things and you know i know it's going to draw more power with its magic triggers and special vibration and whatever else that the xbox one doesn't have but that is a bonkers number uh, it really yeah. is it's not and, great and a, is it and it's another example i think of sony this generation just not reading the room yeah like in, in all sorts of areas, like the way they did the, the PlayStation Plus subscriptions, the way they mm. are not forefronting any money into actual games. Or making enough machines. Yeah, all these yeah. sorts of things. Even but anyway. like, like PSVR 2. Like today, it was the first time I went on and thought, mm, let me just have a little look and see if stock's available for me to pre-order if I did want to. Yeah. I didn't quite realise how expensive it is. It's more than the console, isn't it? It's £550. Yeah. Yeah. I am not buying that. 
I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I physically can't. Yeah. As much as I was more interested in the way that only Cristal could be more interested because Tetris is getting another port and it'll be slightly shinier. Res is mm. getting another port and be slightly shinier. Thumper's getting another port. <laughs> like all these things that I was like, I yeah. do like these games, but I can play these games already and I don't need to spend half a grand to do so again that's mad isn't that's it? silly that's silly it's crazy the meta quest 2 which i've got is half the price of that but it's not because it, it's all contained yeah so it's really a quarter of the price because if you yeah. have to buy a ps5 and psvr2 it's a cool thousand pounds it's just not worth it for oled eye panels maybe i'll play one one day and genuinely be blown away and that will change everything and i'll say no this is what vr needs to be but for the time being if the biggest draw is you can play the games you already enjoy and have played mm. in this exact format, but it will be sharper. Even I can call my jets on that one. <laughs> <laughs> what else have you been playing? Well, over on the Switch, uh, nothing. <laughs> Poor old Switch. I've still got Mario and Rabbids sat there, Xenoblade 3, Bayonetta 3, and more that I need to get back to at some point. And to be fair, I would be playing Metroid Prime Trilogy on the Switch if I could, but instead... Yeah. Over on the Steam Deck, I completed Metroid Prime 1, which even 21 years on remains such an incredibly tight game. So pure and efficient in everything it does. It's just a brilliant, brilliant game. One of the things I've forgotten is actually just how tense and scary the game gets in places. Yeah. That sense of isolation is palpable throughout. But then you get these moments when you're plunged into total darkness and you've only got like your thermal visor to find your way through space pirate infested laboratories. And then like Metroids will be like smashing out of their glass tanks. And it's just so much spooky stuff. Like you get these spectral Chozo ghosts that then the entire area you're in just descends into darkness and they just haunt you. And like the sound they make, it's this sort of like banshee scream. Oh, sounds like I'd love it. Yeah, you'd have a great time, mate. You'd have a great time. <laughs> sounds like my cup of tea. Even when Metroids themselves, which are just a fantastic design anyway, and they do bring with them a sense of terror and you can just hear their like clicking parasitic noises just echoing around the vast spaces. It's great. It's, it's so, so great. <laughs> I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed the final section of the game as well, because like after you've sort of done everything, you then need to descend into the impact crater. That's like your next thing you need to do. But in order to do that, you need to round up 12 Chozo artifacts that are scattered around the world. And if you've got like the right abilities unlocked, you can stumble across one or two of them as you play through the game. But they are really, really well hidden. And when you get to this point in the game where you need to get all 12 of these... You can get clues as to where they might be. And then you have to use all of your abilities and upgrades that you've accrued throughout the game to then go and find them all. And it's just really, really good fun. It's a good opportunity to go back through areas you've already been through and spot things you might have missed before and get some extra missile upgrades or some energy tank upgrades. And then you've got the just amazing Meta Ridley boss fight before your final stretch in the Impact Crater and then the multi-phase final boss fight against Metroid Prime. It's just brilliant. Even if there is a degree of colorblind unfriendliness to that fight. Oh. So when I finished Metro Prime 1, I decided to pull a Chris Dow and have a bit of a tinker oh. with the uh, the Prime Hack settings and stuff oh. to see if I could get the HD textures mod working for my Metro Prime 2 playthrough. And there are some just brilliant, clear, useful guides online as to how to get this set up. And the community-made texture packs really are 
absolutely stunning. Literally every element of the game has been shown some love from the enemies to Samus to the environments to the skies to the UI to the HUD and the menus. Like everything has a crisp and sharp upgrade, which makes the game look totally stunning. I mean, to be fair, the game still looks beautiful just being, you know, natively upscaled to HD because the art design of the original is just really pure and focused. But these new elements like genuinely make it look like a current gen game. It's silly, isn't it? Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get the Steam Deck to handle the full kit and caboodle. And ah. I, I, I'm not sure if it can. I, like, yeah. I don't really know how to figure out if the deck can handle it or if I need to do more tinkering with various things. And I, I don't have the same love and patience for tinkering <laughs> that you do. So, you know, I, I'm quite happy to settle for some broader strokes compromises with this. So I, I disabled the majority of the HD textures for the world and the enemies and everything. But I have left the HD user interface on and some of the Samus textures on and, uh, you know, a couple of other little graphical mods like making your crosshair nice and small and neat instead of the arrogantly giant reticle you're usually stuck (laughs) with. And uh, I've left on like the improved sky graphics, which look nice. And the Steam Deck has no issues handling the ones I've left on. But seeing as I've got all of the elements to make this game fully HD now, I I am actually tempted to, you know, maybe even like install like a Linux partition on my iMac Pro and get it running on there. Because you can also play it with a mouse and keyboard, which is fucking mental. I may well get around to that at some point. But in the meantime, I have made a proper start on Metro Prime 2, which is it's really good. Although I, I don't think it holds a candle to the first game, really. Certainly not yeah. in the early stages of, of Metro Prime 2, which just feel a bit messy and undesigned. And it's also significantly more colorblind, unfriendly than Metro Prime 1, which is a bit annoying because it causes me to waste a lot of various types of different ammo on trying to open doors that <laughs> I think are different colours than they actually are. Yeah, yeah. There's a few causes of this general messiness, chiefly with the implementation of this game's key mechanic, which is the light and dark worlds, which are these polar opposites, alternate dimensions. Um, so every single area in the game has a light and a dark version, and you find portals to take you between them. And if you're exploring on the dark version, the atmosphere is corrosive. So when you're in it, you're constantly losing health unless you can find your way to light beacons that are conveniently scattered around. And I remember being frustrated by this mechanic when I first played the game because it feels like a lazy way to make the game harder. And it also kills the pacing of the game because you do slowly recover health when you're in one of these light beacons. So early on, when you haven't really haven't got much health and you haven't found any energy tanks to give you, you know, sort of expendable health, you just sort of stop and wait to recover health so you can get to the next beacon. For a game like Metroid, which has always felt, I mean, certainly to me, like a game that, you know, encourages and rewards exploration, it kind of snuffs that out, which is a bit of a shame. And even when you do get upgrades to reduce the damage you take in the Dark World... From what I remember, it's it's not until really late into the game that you get a suit that totally nullifies this damage and then you can explore a bit more freely. And it it does make certainly some of the the boss fights feel more stressful and unfair rather than just tough because you're focusing on the fight and your strategy and then you might drift like at one pixel outside of a light beacon's range, not realise and die because you couldn't keep track of five, six things at once. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I remember being just a little turned off by was uh, the more developed story and wider world lore that's been introduced in this game, which is 
is inevitable with any sort of sequel that it's going to have to give you a reason to be playing this game again. So it's going to have to sort of crowbar in a few more things to, you know, to make things interesting. But one of the things I love most about my favorite Metroid games is that sense of isolation that, you know, you need to sort of then piece together the, the history and events of the world you're in by exploring. I don't really want to stop for conversations with anyone. I don't really care about finding out about the Galactic Federation, which makes the story in the world here feel just a bit more like the Star Wars prequels than I really want it to. But if you don't do that, how are you going to know what goes on in Federation Force? The true endpoint for the Metroid franchise. Yep. And I know that Metroid Prime... <laughs> it was an issue that I had with Metroid Prime Hunters on the DS because they chucked in all of these rival bounty hunters which I know apparently reappear in Metro Prime 3. Uh, but, you know, those elements aren't, they're not that intrusive in Metro Prime 2. And there's so many brilliant things in this game. Like, I, I really like how they've doubled down on a lot of the successful elements from Metro Prime 1. Like, there's more things being scannable for you to get info. Much, much more morph ball stuff, which is really, really good fun. The graphical elements that make the dark stuff gloopy and spooky are very cool. And like the dusty atmosphere looks just insanely good. They've really tried to branch out with the different biomes that you're exploring as well. Because the first Metroid Prime game is very archetypal. You've got grass, ice, fire, and sand. And now you've got like these like ruins and you've got like a toxic bog yeah and then you've got this high-tech sky fortress which is really really cool and then on top of that you've got the dark world versions of them and this is a lot of really really you know nice sort of organic design i'm probably about halfway through and i've stumbled across some hints of other weapons and mechanics that i've only really just remembered are in the game which has given me you know lots to look forward to and yeah even though i don't think it is as focused and tight as metro prime one it's still a fantastic game and I am having a real blast playing it. And yeah, it's not going to be long till I'm through it and quite happily moving on to Metro Prime 3, I'm sure. And then Federation Force. Yeah. I mean, you say that. <laughs> Why not? I'll give it a go. Why not? I've never played it. It's I've bad. never played it. Feels it? bad to play. Oh. You know, as I do with lots of things, I played it for like an hour or two. And that's yeah. it, just at the beginning. I had none of the Metroid sort of connection to pull me through. So yeah. it just felt like a really poorly controlling first-person shooter on the 3DS. I'd be up to see. I don't. I haven't even investigated it yet whether or not there are any mods for Metro Prime Hunters because a lot of the charm of that was being able to play a game like Metro Prime on a handheld. It was yeah. insane. The reality of it was not great. It was quite all quite small and awkward to control, and it was a lot more shooty shooty than exploratory. <laughs> I think the challenge would be you can emulate it fine yeah and you could emulate the DS and it will be eight times the resolution and everything else and it'll be fine but the controls unless someone has gone in and essentially reprogrammed or, or completely modified how the controls are, are input and interpreted yeah. it's a game that relied on moving with the d-pad and dragging a stylus around and I don't know how yeah. well that will work on any other button format Unless there's someone who's Massive made, keyboard. yeah, exactly. That's kind of your only option. Yeah, but it might be out there. You know, I've, I've never yeah. looked into it, so it might be worth having a little butchers. Have you played anything else this week? Yeah, of course you bloody have. On the Steam Deck, because it's always by the TV. There's been a few little sessions of Fairy Solitaire. I'm still oh, chipping away at that. So we're about three quarters of the way through. The game's pretty humongous adventure mode at this stage. Mm. I think we've got one passive upgrade left to purchase. And then there's other bits and pieces to mop up, but it would just be quite satisfying to get through the main story, even if I am skipping 
the story. <laughs> I just like yeah. playing the card game. But I think it exemplifies the strength of the Steam Deck as one evening I can totter about stacking cards for 20 minutes, no problem, in a really casual game like this that's never had a console port, so this is the only way I could play it on the TV. And the next, I can play something like Forza Horizon 4, which I've also been doing. Yeah. I think I wrote this game off a little bit unfairly when I first picked it up on the deck because I remember I played that alongside two other ancient racing games and i was like probably enjoyed fours of the least yeah and i I might have felt like that at the time but in those few short sessions i'd done maybe a handful of races but i hadn't really got stuck in properly to what the whole world has to offer yeah and what it has to offer is just outrun level driving all the time and it's (laughs) like i don't even care what the missions and races are it's just great to drive around it's just fun to get about like cruising around back roads in like a modest sports car doesn't have to be Mm. a screamer like just some little mini is fine. Yeah. You know, tearing through stone walls, drifting corners in the snow. It's so good. And you mentioned the gold standard of like Spider-Man and more recently Sonic Frontiers as games where you don't want to use quick travel. Yeah. That's Forza Horizon for yeah, me. Absolutely. I've spent so many little sessions in this game just looking for influence boards to smash or racing against speed camera sectors because they let you see the map and just feel the road. And it's really, yeah. really good to do just that. But... And I've put but in like the biggest capital letters in these notes. The game crashes all the time on the deck. Does it? When you play it for, for longer than about 20 minutes. Ah. And I can't for the life of me work out a solution. Like you said about tinkering earlier with Metroid Prime. Mm. When I was playing this before, when I kind of said, yeah, it's okay and moved on. I was probably only playing 20 minutes. Just yeah. like, like a little test, a race or so. And that was it. And I wasn't playing enough to realize the extent of the problem. But now I've been trying to actually play the game more seriously. And for once, I actually do want to sit down and play it for two, three hours. The depth of the issue has become a bit more apparent because it will crash without warning, sometimes after 10 minutes, sometimes after half an hour, sometimes at the title screen. Yeah. It's really frustrating. And it seems to be a known issue with the game on the deck, but with no known solution. Like people online say, oh, maybe a different Proton compatibility layer is going to do it. It doesn't. Mm. People have suggested like extending access to video RAM through the Steam Deck's BIOS, like, you know, going quite in depth to get things sorted. They've suggested using very specific in-game video configurations. But regardless of anything I've tweaked, either through those suggestions or through my own research, I just haven't had any joy. Like sometimes I can play a few races, think, oh, I must have fixed it. All's well. And then I'll hit hard lock when my car is just idling at the roadside. (laughs) And then other times it will die as soon as I try and load the first event I want to do. No rhyme or reason. And I like at least approaching these things with like a technical mindset. I'm trying to do it scientifically and say, okay, let's figure out what's going on. It's not a CPU or a GPU bottleneck because the game runs perfectly for the time it's able to run. The console's not overheating. The crash is not obviously replicable in any meaningful way. So you can't say, oh, well, it's every time I've got that setting on, there's a problem. So something's happening there. It's like there is no one thing and i've gone really super nerdy on this one as i do from time to time (laughs) like checking the system clocks in real time to try and catch any flash points that might be showing like what's actually happening behind the scenes it's not a ram issue i've run the game with all the presets dropped basically as low as they can go resolution halved pretty much and it still has the same issue so it's not overloading the ram or anything like that it's annoying though yeah and yet even with this problem, I've still played for about 12 hours over the last two yeah. weeks, just in 10 or 15 minute chunks. <laughs> so every time I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, and I, I get annoyed and stop. 
And then 15 minutes later, I just find myself booting up again. Yeah. Like, oh, the menu music's playing again. Here we go. <laughs> I get all excited every time. It's a rice pudding game. Oh, completely. I know I could play this on my laptop and have a great time. Plug the controller in, it's right there. I could plug the laptop into the TV, put it in that way, and pretend I have a shiny Xbox series, whatever. But I don't want to. <laughs> like, mm. It's a perfect handheld game. Yeah, and it is. And in the times I have been able to play, I've gone from feeling kind of so-so to the game, like I said before, to being genuinely desperate to play more. Yeah. And I, I really hope either Playground Games or the wider community are able to find a solution to this at some point, because I think I'd really like to properly finish this one. Mm. Or at the very least, just keep enjoying cruising about this particular truncated version of Scotland in the north of England. Yeah. One of the missions the other day, I had to drive up to Arthur's Seat, the highest point in Edinburgh. And it's not quite as high as it is in real life because it's quite a climb if you do it in real life. But still, what a drive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Chucking my four-wheel drive off the top of the cliff. Great fun. Smashing down into town. It's amazing. It's amazing. Fucking love it. It's such a brilliant game. It really yeah. is. Like, you know, I've spoken about it before when I put it on my on my list and then took it off again and then thought about putting it back on again. Yeah. It's just lovely. <laughs> it's just really, really lovely. And I don't think I would enjoy Horizon 5 in anywhere near the same way because yeah. this is set in England. Again, like it's just really comforting. Yeah, the vibe of the whole place. Mm. I mean, it makes England look fucking gorgeous. And I, I can oh, it's tell the you, best version. I can tell you firsthand, it's miserable to live in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But to drive around, yeah, it, it looks incredible. Like, if you haven't been to the UK, don't go on that or Fireman Sam. <laughs> have you played anything more recent and contemporary than Metroid Prime? You know what? I bloody have. I bloody have. Uh, but I haven't gone <laughs> too far from being isolated and terrified in space because... I've been playing the brand new Dead Space remake. Another game I will never pick up. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, Chris, you you do need to be a bit of a big brave boy to play this. And, I bet you do. Ooh, it's tasty. Yeah. I mean, the atmosphere in this game is something else. It looks absolutely stunning. I mean, I'm playing it uh, 30 frames per second for the 4K ray traced experience. And it's all just so cool. It's all just so cool. From what I remember from the original game, I don't think the gameplay has actually been changed at all. Yeah. I mean, which, you know, is huge credit to the original game and, and how revolutionary the, the sort of minimalist design of that was at the time. And it just continues to be so well executed, it almost hurts. <laughs> like, you, you can see how they, you know, way back in 2012, 2013, I think, when, when the game first came out, you could see how they picked up everything that Capcom had done with Resident Evil 4 in how much they evolved the survival horror genre and just elevated it, I mean, quite literally, into space. Um, But, you know, (laughs) they focused it with just a very refined design that you can still see the impact of it in games today. It's certainly the precursor to the single camera shot approach of like the modern God of War games. And the remarkable... Hudless design is one that so many games try and emulate now even if it's not like a pure hudless game you'll see games have the hud disappear when you're not using it just to sort of help immerse you more in the game yeah something i really hadn't remembered is and and certainly helped playing it in contrast to well not in contrast in complement to metroid prime trilogy is it's such a metroidvania yeah which i'd forgotten like all the areas of this abandoned spaceship they're all gated behind access codes and abilities that you'll find it's all just really well laid out 
you've got this augmented reality wayfinder so you can just easily see where you need to get to without even going into you know loading up your map there's a simple well it's basically like a fast travel system to different areas of the ship but also like the layout of the ship is also shifting and changing because parts of the ship are you know being blown up and attacked so you then get these zero gravity sections linking parts of the ship they're just very cool but very scary because i mean the the concept is basically the same as like an underwater level on a sonic game with like the controls being more floaty and a depleting oxygen level but for some reason this just feels fun and more gamey than those absolutely horrific sonic levels (laughs) but like the tension that comes with these sections is so extraordinary because so much of the sound drops away you've got your oxygen meter ticking down you know, I find I'm like inadvertently holding my breath as I'm trying to navigate Isaac through like a 3D space, but you're in all directions because you're in space because you, and you can go, you can turn any way you want. And then you've got to try and maintain your sense of perspective as part of the ship has like fallen away and is rotating as well. And it's all just quite brain boggling. And it's just, it's beautiful, brilliant game design. I love it. I love the story. I love the slowly unfolding reality of, of what's happened here and why. You sort of pick up traces of what's happened through audio logs and text logs that you find. And there is hints of this like religious fanaticism that sort of crept into the ship. And it's just really, really cool and really interesting. Although the amount of times the story requires you to reroute power across the ship, (laughs) which means you very frequently have to choose between opening a door and turning all the lights off. (laughs) Love it. It's always quite funny because it's like, oh, of course I have to choose between those two things. Or like you can leave the lights on and open the door, but you better believe the oxygen's going. Yeah. It's just amazingly tightly designed survival horror. The the design of everything is just top notch. I'm just having such a great time playing it. It's weird that I would also class this as an RPG. Yeah. A rice pudding game. <laughs> <laughs> But like I like I did with playing Resident Evil 2 and 3, those remakes, and, and how I have been playing Resident Evil 4, for some reason I do find these games just really comforting. It's mad. I'm the opposite of you, I think. Yeah, I think so. I'll probably trade it in when I finished it. I mean, I haven't even looked at what like the achievements or the, the trophies are for this game. But if it looks like it'll be fun to, to go and get those and tick them all off, then I may well, I may well do that. But if it looks like it's going to be a hassle, I'll, I'll be happy to play through this game, have a fantastic experience, trade it in move on to the next one i never played dead space 2 and 3 or there was a spin-off i think on the wii which was yeah like a light gun shooter so i've no idea if they'll go down the resident evil route and continue to remake you know 2 and 3 but hey hope they do they're great it is resident evil in space and for some that's a good thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's probably the missing link for you enjoying resident evil is because i think you would enjoy that if you also couldn't breathe probably that's what you needed probably yeah yeah i think that's that's what was missing from those playthroughs you talk about tightly designed games the last comfort game i've had this week is about as loose as can be (laughs) because i've restarted the original earth defense force by emulation this time because i lost my 15 hours of progress when one of my old playstation 3s died oh yeah so i'm on the deck it looks better it it plays great but it is a loose wobbly (laughs) game as they all are but i just i love it so much that the series as a whole is such a great example of like proper popcorn gaming yeah it's just very very moorish i can sit and play for a long time even if i'm not particularly engaged with what i'm even looking at i'm 
currently on my second difficulty playthrough. If you remember, there's five in total. Mm-hmm. In this particular game, the first one, there's 25 stages. So you're essentially doing 25 stages times five if you're aiming to beat the whole thing properly. And I'm making pretty steady, solid progress as my characters beefing up their health and my weapon cache is growing. There's just something so satisfying about something so mindless. Yeah. And I'd argue that something like Vampire Survivors has loose connections to I was going to say. Because even yeah. though you're not upgrading a character in real time throughout a stage in this game like you are in Vampire Survivors, you are, across the course of the game, getting stronger. And even though it's in third person and not viewed from above, the game is just about space management. And that's pretty much it. You're just avoiding enemies, shooting enemies, avoiding enemies, shooting enemies, collecting a power-up, shooting enemies, avoiding enemies. It's just round and round and round. This game as well, something that I genuinely like about it is whether it's played on original hardware like the PS2, whether I played it via the PS3 in backwards compatibility mode, or now via emulation, the game can drop performance-wise to like single-digit frame rates, and mm. it always makes me laugh. It always makes me laugh because it's, it really feels like in the sort of design meetings of any of these games, it's that classic meme where someone says, like, how, how many ants do you want on screen? And the team just went, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we didn't worry about anything else. Yeah. And especially when you get to the, the highest difficulties, there is so much going on that sometimes you'll finish a stage and it'll be like, mission complete. You'll be like, how? I literally haven't seen my character through like fire and flames for the last 30 minutes. I don't know what's happened. That's funny. If people want to play an Earth Defense Force game, there's loads to choose from. On Steam, on the PlayStation, whatever, generally people seem to regard EDF 4.1 and EDF 5 as the strongest entries. But for me, there's just an inescapable charm to the early PlayStation and Xbox 360 entries because they're even more scrappy, they're even less balanced. But the trade-off is that, yes, you may need to grind as you get later into the game to have the health you need to survive difficult missions. But in return, you start unlocking weapons that are just much more stupid than the later entries and Mm. far more overpowered to the point where like rockets take 20 seconds to reload, but will level half the map in one shot. <laughs> like it's, it's so silly. It's so silly. Yeah. It's just big, stupid, dumb fun. And as I mentioned this week, mixed in with everything else, it's exactly what I needed and what I wanted to play. And it was right there to play. Wonderful. Rice pudding. So there we are. Those are those are the games that we've been playing this week. Uh, an eclectic mix. Well, certainly an eclectic mix for Chris. Uh, for me, I've kept it scary and spacey. Yep. Uh, like Kevin. <laughs> no. Oh. What? <laughs> Next week we will be uh, returning with our playdate update, where we're going to have played Questy Chess and Executive Golf DX. Yes. Uh, very much looking forward to, to feeding back on that. And of course, we will update you on how we get on with our next week's worth of gaming. If you're enjoying what we're doing, please do consider supporting us uh, either via Patreon, via a one-off donation, uh, or just by sharing uh, stuff on social media, or engaging with us on social media. We are at O3C Games on everything, or you can target us individually. I'm on Twitter, at Jonathan Dunn. And I live at Chaz underscore Hodges. And we very much look forward to uh, seeing you, hearing you, being with you, here next week. Bye.